The Bad and Ambitious Podcast is an unfiltered and authentic podcast where I will be discussing topics relating to self-improvement, finance, and relationships. I'm redefining what a bad bitch is, and I'm giving you the tools to be your most well-rounded and confident self. Follow me on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen to podcasts. For up-to-date information and motivational content, follow my Instagram at the Bad and Ambitious Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. Hello baddies, welcome back to the Bad and Ambitious podcast. For this episode, I have a special guest. She's the first guest of the year, although I did record this at the end of last year. But nonetheless, her name is Nicole. She is an inventor, designer, writer, marketer, connector, and baddie. Nicole's patented product, the Chesty, is a sports bra with collarbone protection designed for the female athlete. It is currently retailed in 20 plus countries worldwide debuted as a standout tech product in select Bloomingdale stores in 2019 and was named Muscle and Fitness Magazine's Best Sports Bra of the Season in 2016 and 2017. Let's get started. Hello. How are you doing today, Mary? Good. So today we're going to talk about having a small business. Well, now it's a big business, right? Oh my goodness. Thank you for that. It is still considered small business. Um, but, but yes, the brand has significantly grown in the last almost nine years. So let's talk (laughs) about your brand and how it came to be, why you started it and where you are today. Also introduce yourself. Okay. But also, can we talk about your podcast too? Oh yeah. And, (laughs) um, so my name's Nicole Biscuity. It's spelled biscuit with an I at the end, which I always have to explain to anyone I'm talking to on the phone. So that just comes out naturally as well. (laughs) The brand is the Chesty. And the Chesty is the only patented sports bra with built-in collarbone protection for athletes' barbell workouts. We have grown significantly over the last nine years into now we do gear, training gear for athletes that are not just sports bras. We make men's shorties for training. We have a a variety of different active wear uh, products on our site now, which has been a lot of fun to kind of go through that journey. That's cool. Also, I forgot to talk about how we met because... Ooh, yes. Yeah. So Sturdy. Yes. (laughs) So I did an episode with Dak yesterday. So for if anyone's listening to it, in sequence um nicole and i and dak and other people were part of this morning check-in which i explained to dak yesterday that it's pretty cool because we've done it since april we only missed i think may and mm-hmm. wake up with each other every day which i think is very special because for most of us it's the first people that we see in the morning and it's been mm-hmm. like a, a constant and i guess everyone's life and I benefit from it. I think we all benefit from it. That's why we show up, you know, every day. And it's pretty cool. It's like something special that no one really does, you know. And like we've been a family. And there's been tears, you know, on the check-in. <laughs> there's been laughs. There's been corny jokes. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, on days that I miss for whatever reason and it usually has to be a very significant reason like I'm on a plane and cannot get access to calling but um 
Yeah, it's interesting because when I tell other people about it, usually one of the first reactions is, did you mean six in the morning? <laughs> yes, I did. It's 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. <laughs> and I said, and there was even at one point, there were a couple of individuals who were calling in from the West Coast. So that meant they were getting up, they were getting on a 3 a.m. call, and then they were going back to sleep. Like, that's a level of commitment that's applaudable. <laughs> yeah, and I've checked in when I was in Colombia, and it was like, there was like a, a one-hour time change. Mm -hmm. And I happened to be waking up early to go to the airport that day, and I was not going to miss it. So I, I think it's that. like, we all have a sense of responsibility, I think, to show up. Yes, which is part of like who we are as people, you know, anyways. I agree. I, I feel really very much like the sturdy family is that for me. And if I needed really anything, um, I, I feel very confident in the fact that I could rely on each and every one of the people who, who show up because that's what we do. I love yeah. that. So mm -hmm. talk to me about how you started your brand because I've always had ideas and I know like they come to me in like a dreamlike state, like the podcast mm -hmm. was a intuition type of thing. Like I always thought about having a podcast at a time when like not that many people had podcasts when I was thinking about it. But then when I actually started right. a year ago, I, you know, it became more like everyone has one, which is fine. I think everyone sure. should, you know, like use that to their advantage and everyone has things to say, but then mm -hmm. like the name came to me and it just felt right. It just clicked and there was like no other option for the name. <laughs> no, I love it. The name is perfect. <laughs> I think it's great. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I think that a lot of the best brands or I guess creations come out of an idea that are intuitive, like you say. And a lot of that, at least with, with my brand, the Chesty, came out of a need, like a pure need that wasn't being recognized or served. And, and that's how this kind of came to be. Um, I was at the time a competitive CrossFit athlete. This is back in uh, 2012. I started competing in the CrossFit space while I was working, you know, a full-time job in the public relations industry for fashion. And I, I was competing at, you know, all these different events, but this one particular event called Wadapalooza down in Miami beach, it's on, it's really pretty. It's on, um, Biscayne Bay in Bayfront mm -hmm. park, it's, uh, an outdoor fitness festival today. It's grown to attract worldwide attendees, uh, from all over obviously the world, <laughs> but also from all over uh, different parts of kind of our fitness culture, uh, specifically CrossFit though. So I was competing at one of the first years of this event and it called for a lot of shoulder to overhead work with a barbell. The weight on the barbell was actually the exact weight that I weighed. It was my body weight at the time. So i.e. that means it was very heavy for me yeah. <laughs> and on top of that the barbells were all brand new because they got nice shiny new equipment for their big event 
and they were sitting out in the sun. So if you're not familiar with barbell work, barbells have knurling on it, which is effectively a natural grip that's wired into the, the barbell where your hands go to grip the barbell. Mm -hmm. It is, I describe it as a cheese grater to your skin <laughs> <laughs> because they don't want you, you know, you, the last thing you want when you're doing a heavy lift is to have the barbell slip out of your hand. Yeah. However, when it's sitting on your raw skin on your collarbone, it's extremely uncomfortable. So what happened for me, that paired with the fact that these barbells were all sitting outside under the Miami sun. Yeah. It was honestly uncomfortable just to touch it to my skin, let alone, you know, do 20 minutes of a workout with it. So as soon as I started ripping my skin a little bit doing, I mean, not even a few reps, less than five reps, I re-racked my barbell. I looked at my judge and I said, this is just, I need a minute. <laughs> so I took off my shirt and I stuffed it into the straps of my sports bra, kind of like a backwards cape, if you will, mm -hmm. to just to create like a, a barrier between where the barbell kept landing and my skin. And so I continued the workout for the rest of the time domain, um, you know, with this kind of like random, almost like towel looking thing yeah, <laughs> stuffed into my, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but as they say, that's when the light bulb went off and I thought to myself, okay, like I could make something that would create a solution for this issue. And it wasn't just a me issue. This is a very common issue for athletes who train with a barbell. So Wadapalooza was over the weekend. The very next Monday, I go into the gym. I take a pair of knee sleeves that we typically wear for squatting. <laughs> Uh, they were made of neoprene. I cut them in half and I sewed them into a rash guard that surfers wear because it was the tightest shirt that I could find. I needed something that was like pretty mm -hmm. form fitting. So I sewed it into the neckline. I did a few cleans. I did a few shoulder to overhead. And in that moment, I was like, this is a thing. This is going to be a thing. And that was nine years ago. Damn. So how do you start, I know. How do you start the process? <sighs> so I didn't know what I was doing, <laughs> which is fine. Um, but I, so what I did was at the time I was working in fashion, in, in, like I mentioned, I was a publicist. So I just talked about it within my professional circle and with friends that I thought might know where to start. And what I ended up doing was I started working with seamstresses to see if I could create something that would at least resemble some sort of garment. And I have, Mary, I saved these samples, the first round of them. They are so ugly. <laughs> <laughs> they are, they look nothing like what the chesty is today. Thank God. <laughs> but I went through that process of meeting with people. Eventually, I, I did that for almost a year, but eventually I connected with Susan Mosey, who to this day, uh, I was actually just with her this morning. She is Chesty's lead technical designer. She has her level of proficiency. She's an actual expert in, in the field. And I had been working with her producing fashion shows for some of our designers that would come through Bloomingdale's, but I never 
realize until she and I had chatted about this, that her main expertise lies in development. So when I found that out, <laughs> then we started picking up the pace. And that was honestly just kind of, you know, when they say like prepara preparation meets luck, that, yeah. that was that, that, that was that for me. Uh, cause I had been preparing for a while and then I just kind of felt really lucky to have her cross paths with her. So then she kind of took the lead on a lot of things and was like, okay, sweetie, <laughs> that's cute. What you've been doing for this amount of time, but let me tell you what actually needs to happen and let me help you. <laughs> yeah. So she came on board and you know, that's when I really learned what making garments is about. And it was not easy. You need tech packs, you need spec techs. She's helped me source factories. We went over at the time we were manufacturing in Southeast Asia quite heavily. So we were traveling over there quite oh, wow. a bit. I mean, cool. this was a wild ride. <laughs> yeah. And so you know, you start, you start with a concept and you go through the sampling process, you pick the fabrics, all of that. And I remember not really understanding what it would take, not only time-wise, but financially to start a brand. And I thought I saved enough money <laughs> to run a brand for at least six to 10 months out of money in like six weeks oh shit <laughs> yeah <laughs> but I was like well I'm here now so I'm already in I'm in this so there's nowhere to go but forward I, I obviously like all of us we figured it out but um our first run was because I had almost no money to do it it was 300 units um as my brother likes to say, I was getting hosed on the pricing. <laughs> I think I, at the time, was paying five times what, you know, our current pricing is now. But of course, a lot of what our current pricing reflects is also the fact that our volume goes up. And yeah. Order volume goes up. Obviously, the price per unit drops, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, it's, it's unbelievable how expensive the, this first run was for me. <laughs> it was like, I might as well have been making cut and sew, you know, wedding dresses. <laughs> yeah. Did you ever doubt yourself like in the process in the beginning or throughout the nine years? Yes, but not to the level of like, I was going to stop doing it. Um, I definitely doubted my knowledge base, which I think was an appropriate level of doubt. In other words, I was just kind of like, I don't know enough about this to make a decision. So I'm just going to surround myself with people who do know enough about this to help me. Mm -hmm. um, and that's something that over the years I've learned is actually a critical skill for anyone that wants to be an entrepreneur. It's okay that you don't know how to do everything but it's not okay if you know you don't know how to do everything and you still try to do it yourself yeah i think most people don't really know what they're doing to be honest you just learn yeah you just learn and what i can tell you is i've learned a lot of ways to not do stuff <laughs> yes. and and there's a value in that too though because the next time you want to circle back to that process, or if in my case, I, I actually started an entire separate consulting business for that, for that industry. 
I consult mm. people who, you know, have a desire to have their own clothing brand, have the monetary resources, but really don't have anything be else be beyond that or besides that. And so, you know, I've helped a lot of brands start, launch, scale and grow. And it's been that's also been really fulfilling for me as well. It kind of keeps every day fresh because again, I've made a lot. I would say I've made most of the mistakes, including really expensive mistakes that, you know, it was like really hard to financially bounce back from, but yet we are still here. <laughs> yeah. I want to know, how did you come up with the name? Oh my gosh. That's, that's such a great question. And I, it always is like so nostalgic for me to think about this moment. But at the time that we were, we, me and my friends were conceptualizing this business. Um, at the time I was working for Bloomingdale's and their public relations department. And I was traveling back and forth between my two markets, which were Palm Beach and Orlando, Florida. So Orlando is about three hours north of Palm Beach. So I would always drive up there, spend a night or two during the week, depending on what the workload looked like and then drive back. So of course, having, having two to three days a week up there and being in the height of my training and competitive, you know, athletic career, I also joined a CrossFit gym up in Orlando. It was called Kings Point CrossFit. It was owned by my now very good friend, Lindsay Love Jenks. So we were training one day. Um, I used to go in on my quote lunch break sometimes or sometimes in the afternoons or evenings just depending on what the work day looked like and so we were standing around after a workout that had a lot of barbell work front rack position thrusters all of the things that you need a chesty for right mm -hmm. and we were standing around in a circle basically like trying to catch our breaths from this from this workout and we were talking about you know launching the chesty and what that would look like and you know everyone at that point had seen a prototype they were they were very excited about it and and actually that same question was posed okay cool now what are we going to call it and our friend who was a coach at the time bill beverage who's also a marine said why don't we just call it chesty <laughs> literally mary the very first suggestion ever to come out of anyone's mouth and nine years later here we are it's the chesty that's cool <laughs> yeah it was really cool <laughs> i love reminding bill of that it's also interesting because a very fa famous marine which i i actually love that we're recording this today on the Marine Corps birthday, because it kind of brings it all full circle for me, because my brother is a Marine. So then he'll know this, Chesty Puller is a very famous Marine within that kind of institution, except Chesty was spelled differently. Um, we spell it the H-E-S-T-E-E, -E -E because it kind of plays on the fact that initially all of my designs were T-shirts, like T-E-E. -E. Oh, that, yeah, that's cute. Right. But another very smart entrepreneur early on in my career told me, listen, I know you're excited about this and where, where you're going with this. I just want you to keep in mind that the first version of your product will likely not be 
the product that you end up selling the most of or what you're known for. And when he was saying this, I was just kind of like, <laughs> okay, but I have no idea what else it could be. Um, but then I found out real quick <laughs> because I had three styles of these chesty t-shirts that I was selling. And the one that was the skimpiest, which was really like a tank top, it didn't have shoulders built in. The one that was the skimpiest that looked most like a sports bra was the one that sold the fastest. It, it actually sold out pretty quickly. And at the time, I I had a lot of time and I was, you know, every department for Chesty, including customer care, I would pick up the phone and I would call every single customer who purchased a Chesty and I would call them to ask them about their experience. And I also love, to this day, we love getting feedback because some of the best product ideas actually come from our customers. You know, they'll say like, oh, have you ever thought about doing X, Y, Z? And I'm like, no, but that is a fantastic idea. And I might mess around and find out. So, <laughs> <laughs> so in this series of these calls that I was making or placing to customers, there was a common theme that I very quickly pieced together. And, and I'll give you an example. I called this one lady and I said, Hey, I saw that you, we, we still, to this day, we name the chesty styles after women in the sport. Um, so the Gina <laughs> was the style that I'm referring to. That was like kind of the skimpiest um, out of the three available styles at the time when we launched. And so I was speaking to a customer who purchased the Gina chesty and she's like, you know, I love it. The collarbone protection is everything that I was hoping it would be. However, I have to say like, there's really not a lot of support for the girls. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? Aren't you wearing, you know, like a supportive sports bra underneath it? Dead silence. And she says, this isn't a sports bra. I said, oh, this is a crop tank. And then we just kind of both laughed. Like, obviously that's why you didn't have support. You're out here doing God knows what in your tank top, thinking that it's a sports bra. But again, there was another aha moment right then and there. I was like, oh shit, I need to make sports bras. <laughs> yeah. I honestly, I was under the impression that they were, they were sports bras, but I've never done CrossFit. I've never. So like, I don't know. That was just like my blind assumption of what it was. Okay. So, so now they all are. So oh, you okay. are correct. Okay. So thank you. That's great. I'm going back like eight and a half years now. Okay. This is eight years ago. This is when I first came out with my first line of product and was, you know, doing everything on my own. So as soon as I heard that and pieced this together, I went back to Susan and I was like, guess what? Chesties aren't t-shirts anymore. Now they're sports bras. <laughs> Let's get to cracking. And we just started designing just like a million different sports bras with various athletes in the sport. We would create them. It would be their namesake. So we would name them after the athlete that helped us develop it. We still follow this kind of business model today. Um, and, and, and yes, and what you see today on the site that looks like a sports bra, that is a chesty. Okay. And, and, our, and we kind of like to say that while we didn't invent the sports bra, we made it way better. And we call ourselves Chesty. We say Chesty is sports bra 2.0. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Also, you had this idea at the right time because even like 10 years ago, eight years ago, 
everyone now has like a brand of some sort like with Instagram and everything all these influencers you know they have all these different you know launches with big name brands like Gymshark and everything so you probably had a really good time oh thank you well it's interesting too that you mentioned Gymshark because my end game has always been to be acquired so that's one of the reasons that I spent so much time, effort, and candidly money on the intellectual property aspect of this business. So I was just, <laughs> you know, a lot of people collect <laughs> whatever they collect. I was just trying to collect as many patents as humanly possible. So I have multiple design patents, and the most valuable to a brand like mine is I own utility patents and these are patents that specifically cover the functionality of what it is that we do so the way our patent reads is that it protects um or the language i guess refers to the protection of the collarbone area in in a garment hmm. That's pretty interesting. Um, yeah yeah it is pretty think interesting about that you have to protect your creative um whatever that's called <laughs> property. It's yeah. really, yeah, it's really, it's intellectual property. And, and I did want to protect it because I, I had some really good, you know, strong advice from mentors. And that was one of the very first calls that I placed actually was to a patent attorney, um, patent and trademark attorney in my hometown. He still works with us to this day. And now we have a bunch of patents. And, and so that's what creates the additional brand value. Mm-hmm. So now I can go to a company like Gymshark, and I have been in, put in touch with um, their brand innovation person in their UK office, but I can go to companies like them and approach them about you know acquiring a brand that has a strong foothold in CrossFit. And that's, that's kind of been my plan. That's awesome. Yeah. Because you probably never really thought that you would be where you are now, you know? No, I I definitely didn't. I I actually didn't know if I had, I mean, I have a clear vision now, but I think that it's okay that your vision changes over time as you change and as you evolve. But all at the time when I started this, all I really hoped for was creating some sort of like legacy piece that I was known for. And that would help people train. And it took me a really long time to get to the place of of accepting the fact that I'm already here because sometimes people like, you know, like all the people in our sturdy group, (laughs) sometimes people who have accomplished a lot and who are super goal oriented attach such specific goals to their measure of success that they can't or won't acknowledge what they've already done. And I had kind of like a turning point. And you know, I, I spent some time in Bali this summer. Yeah. Um, which was really like, it was very fortunate that I was able to take that amount of time to do that. So I was over there for like five weeks. <laughs> but um, it was it was incredible. Um, and, I, and I feel really lucky to have had that opportunity and the experience of it. But one thing that really changed, I guess, me and how I thought about all of this was I really was able to relax and accept that I've already built a brand. And when people say, you know, congratulations on your success, I can genuinely say thank you instead of in my head thinking, 
what success? I haven't done this. I haven't done that. I haven't even done X, Y, Z yet. Like, how could they think I'm successful? And you, you know, you have to like kill that like negative talk in your head. And that was one of the things that I was able to do this summer, just being super still and grateful for what I've already been able to accomplish. And I did say to myself, like, Nicole, you built a legacy brand. You're here. And, and it's true. I can go into, you know, pretty much any CrossFit gym, at least in the U.S., and if someone's not actually wearing something that I made, they at least know about my brand. And that is such a cool feeling. Yes. Remember when I saw the one of your trucks or not a truck like the I saw it in the wild. And I was oh, like, yeah. The Chetsu cool. truck in the wild. You sent a yeah. picture. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I love that. <laughs> actually, that's not the first time and probably won't be the last time that that's happened. Um, I, I distinctly remember because I, I grew my business by doing road trips cross country. So I would drive from Florida to California and back, just stopping in and they call it dropping in to any CrossFit gym that would have me. And that was a lot of gyms. <laughs> and I remember getting a, this is back when everyone was doing Facebook. Now it's like Instagram or whatever else it is. But I remember getting a Facebook notification <laughs> and someone had messaged us an actual photo of the chesty truck <laughs> and and actually I have, a, I have a marine corps license plate like a tag on on the car because of the reason i just told you my brother's a marine and the the individual who wrote in the message was something along the lines of hey i'm a marine too semper fi <laughs> just looked up the chesty very cool keep it up and that was their message but it's, it's been funny because that car is you know it's it's loud and proud it is emblazoned with the brand yeah i want to <laughs> you can't miss you, it how yeah. long did it take for you to quit your job and do this full time i think it took three years to really do this full time. But I incorporated and opened the, the business, if you will, the name of it and all that in 2014. It wasn't until 20, I think 16 or 17 that I was able to fully leave my, you know, my, the reliability of my full time job, i.e., like the salary. <laughs> yeah. Um, and do that. But what I, I guess I should also mention that was like, like a critical component and is still very much um, one of the reasons that we're still here today is my brother. So at the time, my brother was deployed as an active duty Marine, but had been in as much as he could, he was supporting me in every way that he could support me. And <laughs> We love to joke about this now, but it wasn't that funny then. <laughs> he gave me, because he's the most generous person ever, he gave me a credit card that he, he basically just added me as a user on one of his credit cards. Yeah. And he said, like, this is for emergencies if you run into any, like, problems. <laughs> <laughs> so skip to two and a half years later, he's like, okay, we need to talk about what constitutes an emergency <laughs> <laughs> because I, I don't know how much I racked up, but it was like over $20,000 over, over time. 
right? So now we're in 2017 and he gets back from deployment. His wife is pregnant. He's thinking about, you know, what am I going to do for my next move? I need like a full-time thing because that's who my brother is. And he, he simply says to me, look, I am so proud of you. And I, I honestly like am kind of in shock at how you've been able to do this by yourself this whole time, but you need help. And I would like to be that for you. I want to join the company. Um, and you know, and like, neither of us care about titles at all. He's like, but I, but if you'll have me, I would love to do this with you. And, and that was it. That was the whole conversation. I mean, who says no to that? Yeah, of course. I did. I, I didn't say no to that. So, so that's how my brother became my business partner at Chesty. So and... he was your first employee, technically. <laughs> I don't know if you even call it employee, but I mean, we're, we're both paid through the company. Yes. But yes, technically my brother was the first, I guess, owner getting getting distributions from the business yes cool so when did you start hiring more people um pretty soon after that because now someone who actually has planning and organizational skills gets in here and is like okay we need some sort of like <laughs> we need to make sense of this mess <laughs> <laughs> are you allowed to cuss on this um, oh yeah i'm very vulgar okay myself. okay great so then let me tell you exactly what he said <laughs> my brother's like we need to unfuck this organization real quick <laughs> that, that, those are his exact words and so he had this plan that he we rolled out to do just that <laughs> um and so we sequentially and i think very strategically brought on people to help us and one of the first people that we did bring on um, was we, we needed help with fulfillment because that was taking so much time. Cause we were just, you know, we were sending orders out of my, out of my condo and which, which before that was our mom's house. It was her second bedroom in her house. Um, Chesty's been run out of my apartment, then my mom's house, then my condo for the first seven years. We didn't really, oh, wow. Yeah, we didn't and we and we did it like that on purpose because going 3PL like third party logistics for us was not only expensive for like the margin but also expensive time wise because we talked to a lot of other brands and learned that you know it could take up to 16 hours to get an email response about something and it's just like we didn't want to go from having such a close, like personal touch with all of our customers to now they're waiting a day to hear from us. We just didn't yeah. want to, we didn't want to do that. So Chesty didn't really move out of my home into a proper warehouse until 2020. And, um, and it was great. <laughs> that, that was awesome. But the outside of hiring a fulfillment person, um, we had Leah and then we had Jesse from Chesty and now we have JB. <laughs> um, we also hired marketing and that was critically important, especially at the time when Instagram was basically how everyone was getting their information. So um, 
Rumblebum. Jen <laughs> is her real name. She goes by Rumblebum on Instagram. Uh, Rumblebum joined the crew, if you will, and started running a lot of our social media and helping us with that. That was really important. Because for me, like, I have this idea of this podcast, but I actually want to mm-hmm. make it to a brand because I feel like, why not? <laughs> and it makes sense. Yeah, there's so much, there's so many legs to it, Mary. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. Interesting because I'm learning, you know, about a few things too. And the next little point on our little outline is working in a male dominated world. So, because it was at first catered for women, how were like did men pay attention to your idea did they dismiss it were people not supportive because I know you've talked about it that Mm -hmm. people have kind of hated on you I don't know if yeah or if it was just in the beginning was that men like was it women was it just everyone like what tell me about that yeah um of course when I'm in a market as a woman selling a product for women the only haters, quote, haters that I got were men. Cool. Thank you for your opinion in this space that is here for women. But while we're here, why don't I go ahead and tell you why everything you just said makes no sense and is irrelevant to me. And those were conversations that I would have for a pretty decent amount of time. Um, (laughs) Now we laugh about it, but my now friend Marcus Watts and I met under very uh, attention-filled circumstance where I had my kind of like debut uh, into the CrossFit space. I spent really like the last $5,000 to my name to go have a booth at um, in Carson in California where the annual CrossFit Games is held. This is like, this is like the Super Bowl for CrossFitters. So we, I went out there and a booth and really didn't even have product to sell yet. I think I was doing pre-sales. So I was, my entire goal was marketing, name recognition, building my email list and getting social media followers. So I had a couple of products there to test and try. And Marcus was working the booth literally across the kind of like walkway from me. So we had been seeing each other this entire three-day event, but we really got into it. And he, and I, and I commend him for being direct in his, I guess, in his delivery of what his feelings were. But he he told me that he thought it was a stupid idea because it's encouraging people to not have to get better and improve their lifting mechanics or their technique or their form. So, of course, my argument to that was is perfect, especially beginners. You need about 10,000 hours in anything to become an expert. So I ask you, Marcus, what are you supposed to do between day one and hour 10,000? The chesty, okay? Because you don't start lifting and you have perfect mechanics. So, you know, we went back and forth on this (laughs) quite a bit. Um, And then the other thing, there's so many other factors that we don't even have time to get into, including like anatomy, you know, people, people aren't perfectly balanced in their, in the way that their bodies are set up. You know, one person might have, you know, a shoulder that is higher than the other, or a collarbone that actually is higher on one side than the other, for example. Um, We also sell chesties to a lot of breast cancer survivors, and they 
use them to cover up their port and the port is on one side. So there's all of these other like external factors that we didn't even get into. Now I, I say all of this to say, Marcus eventually came around <laughs> and like I said, we're friends now. He's like, this is brilliant. Congratulations on all your success. I'm so glad you didn't listen to me and others that, you know, may have been discouraging. But that is one example of literally hundreds. And in sales, as we talk about a lot on, you know, our on our sturdy calls too, I get excited when I hear no now because I'm just closer to the next yes. And that truly is when you're in sales, it's a numbers game. Mm -hmm. But another example of this kind of like, I don't even know, just like dismissive, I guess, attitude that I've encountered over the years. And it's not like, I'm not making a blanket statement. I'm just re recalling like certain specific instances where I was like, damn, really? Like, I remember being at another CrossFit, big CrossFit competition where, um, you know, all of these vendors are set up, we're, we're selling our things. <laughs> and a lot of people use that opportunity, kind of like a trade show to come up and, you know, they might want to pitch you on, hey, I'd love to create content for you. Or in this case, hey, I'm the publisher of such and such magazine online, and I'd love to have you buy ad space. So this individual comes by and I hear him um, saying, saying he would like to speak with the owner of Chesty. And I think he was talking to one of our um, our salespeople and she, and she kind of just like gestured in my direction. So he walks and I'm standing next to my brother. He walks straight past me and extends his hand to my brother. Oh, hell no. <laughs> my brother's response was the best. He said, he said, hi, I'm so-and-so from this magazine so nice to meet you and my brother i don't even think my brother shook his hand he just said you mean so nice to meet her she is the founder of the chesty and then he literally just turned his back and he walked away are you serious <laughs> no i'm saying my brother turned his back and walked oh, away oh i was like so the guy, that guy got offended <laughs> He's like, yeah. no, the, no, he was embarrassed, but it, okay, was, it needed to happen that way. It did. Yeah. It needed to happen that way because it's like, all right, but also let's just take a step back. You are walking into a booth that sells basically bras for women. And your first natural instinct is to think it's the dude. Really? Yeah. That's, yeah that's From my perspective, I was like, I don't even know what you're saying, but you have a long way to come back from this. If you think I'm spending money with you. <laughs> and there was just, it's just so many examples of that. Again, I'm not saying all of the experiences were like that, but you know, it is what it is. <laughs> it's just crazy to me that men, when they have input on something that they can't even relate to. I know. Like I mean, it's like when we started making men shorties, Best believe I was asking every single person that I knew who actually wore men's shorts and compression leggings, what they felt and what they wanted and how they thought it should be designed. I'm in no position to make something that I don't even have the anatomy to, to wear. So it's the same thing that you're just saying. <laughs> like, how are you going to come into this space and just say to me, anyway. I went on a tangent, but yeah, so that's just an, like a couple examples of, of that, but it's, you know, it's everywhere. We all have our 
challenges. I mean, I'm certainly not in um, in the worst position there as far as like, I, I do think that I've gotten a lot of recognition and like accolades and I'm very grateful for that too. That's awesome that it's been nine years and you built something so big, I would say. And it's thank you. Cool. People don't realize all that goes on behind, you know, creating something. Sure. And the stress and, you know, the failures and all that. So it's pretty cool. So tell us about your new skills that you've learned along the way. (laughs) Well, I think it was just, I think it was just the process of learning all of these new things that go into creating garments. I mean, I, you know, I think that every owner especially of a small business should do every single job, or at least if they're still a small business, they have had to do every single job because they had no one else to do it. (laughs) But, um, you know, I've watched videos on how to like do (laughs) SEO optimization. I now can, you know, pick up a piece of fabric and, and get pretty close to understanding like the thickness of it, the GSM, um, maybe like understanding what type of stitching is required based on what we're creating and all of that stuff. So that in general just kind of makes me like a more, uh, it, it has, it offers more things or puts more things in my business owner's toolkit, if you will. But overall, I think that if you are good with people, then you're good in business. And that's one thing that I've really tried to continue to pay attention to, to spend resources and time on. Um, and Dak talks about this a lot, you know, including the network of people that you keep. And so that's been something that I've really worked on a lot in the last couple of years, especially. I'm like not a people person. So like, we know you're doing great though. <laughs> it's hard for me to like really care about people. That's okay. At least, honestly, at least you have the self-awareness to understand and communicate that. A lot of people don't even know. They're just kind of like, why am I not good at this? Why do I not want to do it? It's, it's because it's because you don't have, and I'm not saying you don't have that skill. You just haven't like worked on it yet. Yeah. I just, I don't know. I like to do things behind the scenes. Like I like sure. this podcast because it's, you know, one-on-one or it's on my own terms. Sure. But yeah. Yeah, I feel like I could never be a salesperson or anything, but it's really cool. Like, I really admire people who like talking to people because I don't at all. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Um, That's so funny. That's my friend, Alex Christian. She was one of our first salespeople. Um, I met her when I was training in Orlando, and then she moved to Tampa. Of course, she has a career in sales, always has. But I used to, <laughs> I used to joke with her that she could sell a bottle of water to someone who was drowning in an ocean. She is just, she's incredible. And and the the reason is because she only sells products that she's like super passionate about. And I think that that's the thing in in all of business and all of peopling as jb calls it is that you need to find something that you can do for a very long time that you're comfortable with that you that doesn't even feel kind of like work so it feels like you've figured this out for yourself the podcast works for you and who you are and your personality and the way that you do the podcast works for you and i think that's really important that you'll have longevity there 
Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's talk about working with family, building teams. And also, I want to add a question, which is how do you establish boundaries? Because I know that people who run their own business and they don't go to like a nine to five per se, like, how do you stop working? Like, did you learn over time to, you know, stop checking emails 24 seven? Do you still do that? (sighs) Yeah. I think I went so far past, like I, I had such a hard boundary that now <laughs> if you looked at how many unread emails I had, I mean, I have friends who cannot even look at my desktop, cannot look at my phone because it shows you the number of unread messages because they're just like that, that makes them nauseous because <laughs> I went so far in that direction. But as far as creating boundaries, it is challenging with small business, particularly, um, particularly small businesses that are working and hiring, they're working with and hiring their friends and family, because you do need a, a separation. And I'll say that my brother is exceptional at that. He always has been. We've always sat down as a team and talked about, you know, and now he has, he has a family. So he has, he has Catalina who is six and Enzo who is one. And his wife, Vanessa, also works and they, they like to do all these things with their own life. So he, he sets up boundaries. He, we have a shared calendar. I see what they've got going on. So I know not to ask them to do certain things. Or he'll just say like, hey, I can't be available during this time. And in the same way, he is fine um, accepting that for me. And now we have a team that, you know, <laughs> we have a team of six, like, what I would say like part-time to full-time and then an additional like five that are involved in sales. So we have a decent sized team. And the thing that's beautiful about the way we've set it up is that we are not micromanaging. And obviously like, I think you've known me long enough now to know that that's not my personal leadership style. So what we say is, all right, we agree on the fact that you are responsible for this This is in general, your kind of like job role, responsibility and title, if you want a title, but no one cares about titles here. Um, You do that job in whatever time domain you want, whenever you want, however you want, as long as it gets done by the deliverable, like timeline or deadline, we're good. Show up when you need to show up, be on the calls that you need to be on, And other than that, we don't really ask too many questions. If that doesn't work for someone and they need more structure for us, typically that it hasn't been a relationship that's panned out. And the only reason that it hasn't worked is because I'm actually not set up to be a like on top of you leader. Mm -hmm. I'm more, I'm more hands off. And so now that I understand that, I'm more upfront about that, or I try to be very transparent about the expectation and manage that expectation from the beginning. And so everyone on our team currently, um, you know, in addition to working for Chesty, they've got a lot of other things going on, whether it's like another side hustle or something that's really important to them in their personal or family life. That's generally the type of profile of person who is attracted to and, and ultimately ends up getting ingrained in Chesty. For me, like, I've realized that I think COVID had something to do with it, but Mm -hmm. flexibility, Mm -hmm. 
personally at my job I don't want to like be talking too much shit but they (laughs) want people there like someone specifically said be there before nine so you're already like ready to go at nine but sometimes we have to stay late I understand that's the nature of the job whatnot but Mm -hmm. you have to be there like at nine to six but if you stay late like you don't get compensated which I understand like I'm not trying to say I'm not trying to like you know ask for every cent from like my time but Mm -hmm. it's like you can't really leave early or you can't be late which I do get like yes you should be at work on time but there's no flexibility where it's like I don't know it's just after COVID things changed and that old mentality is kind of fading away and old people yeah it, it like needed to the program like <laughs> yes I will gladly stay late but if you're you start to tell me like okay well you start to like question where everyone is if they're like you know five minutes late whatever like that is just annoying like people are gonna get their job done anyways and if they don't perform that is a factor for you to like think about but as long as a job gets done for me that's all I care about and mm-hmm. People work mm-hmm. differently and people have other shit going on. Like back then people really cared about their job. Like that was like 80% of like their value as a person and, you know, right. all that. But after the pandemic, people started to care about their actual lives and their time. And they started caring less about their job because yes, like obviously everyone should have a job. They should have a job that they right. care about, but your job shouldn't dictate everything that you do in your life and you shouldn't feel guilty to take a day off because you're sick or you're having like a mental health issue or something. Right. And no, and you shouldn't be made to feel badly about that either. Yeah. And like, I used to never, ever like miss work, even if I was sick, like just growing up, Mm -hmm. I always, you know, I never miss school, but now I'm like, no, fuck that. Like if I need a day, (laughs) if I'm, you need a day. Yeah. If I'm sick, I need to rest. And that's also, fair. But if I'm people used to just like overwork themselves, and I think that's canceled. <laughs> yeah, we're going to go ahead and cancel that because <laughs> you can't be an effective employee, staff member, team member, colleague, worker, whatever, if you are operating with half a tank of gas or a quarter of a tank of gas and you're driving uphill and your car's like, like on the struggle bus. <laughs> you can't, you can't possibly be the best version of yourself. Um, and so, and I'm very fortunate that Chesty's in the fitness kind of like wellness space. Yeah. And we all, you know, for the most part, we are all relatively athletic. Some of us are like, you know, former like professional or like at least D1 athletes. And so we understand the importance of movement, of of moving your body every day. Of course, like having a healthy lifestyle and understanding like recovery for that. So that's another thing that I love about Sturdy is that like a, a lot, we, we talk about those things. Um, all of that, how you how you choose to spend, you know, those 24 hours that you're given is important. And so we do things as as a group or at least support an individual who like 
wants to go, you know, has like a goal of, I don't even know what that is. Like one of our team members just registered for the lottery for the Chicago marathon. She's like, I want a new challenge. I want something to, you know, to train for, et cetera, et cetera. Like, that's great. We, you know, we would celebrate that in the same way. A lot of our team members are moms. And so their lifestyle has to be different because of the requirements and the demands on their time. Mm -hmm. And I really, you know, don't appreciate like some organizations that are set up like, like moms have to feel badly or maybe lie or make up an excuse like, oh yeah, you know, I have to go to the doctor's appointment. So I'm leaving the office early. Meanwhile, they've really just like had an emergency with their child at school and need to go get them. But they shouldn't be made to feel badly about that. This is life. So we're just very like organic and natural in the way that we have kind of like come to, to be where we are today. Um, our Petro, our director of growth, his wife is an actual doula. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, you know, she's she's I think she has over 350 deliveries now on, on her oh my God. Like, That's so resume. I know it's a lot. It's amazing, actually. And they also, in addition to that, um, they homeschool their two boys. So it's pretty common for Petro to call in on one of our calls, you know, and he's at a field trip, gumbo limbo <laughs> or something like that. Uh, and as long as he doesn't have to be on his laptop, you know, pulling data or something like that, if he's just listening, he's, he's fine to do that as an example. So we understand that that's just, I think the landscape of how people work is changing. Yeah. Uh, I'm very, very happy about what COVID in that space, in in this, uh, sorry, in this, I guess, reference is um, teaching people or has taught people because we were already doing this way before COVID. But now it's just more, I guess, prevalent, accessible and acceptable. Yeah. It's accepted. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And my job, mm -hmm. hopefully no one listens to this, but a lot, of, <laughs> a lot of other jobs offer so much more flexibility and people leave because my job doesn't offer that. And they're yeah. just not willing to like look around and be like, damn, like, why is everyone leaving? You know, for other companies that offer, yeah. even if it's not whatever it could be the same amount of money but people have more freedom right sure but people really value their freedom and their time because we're all gonna Correct. die today like what yep. what really matters like you grinding at work all day no right like the fuck right. you're gonna die <laughs> like i know what matters is think... your time and your experiences yeah. and your family and you know right. taking care of yourself yeah. taking care of yourself and you can't do that if you're stressed out all the time. Exactly. Yeah. To wrap up. I don't think I asked you this in the beginning. What is your definition <laughs> of a bad bitch? Because I didn't ask you that. I don't think. Oh, it's you. It's me. <laughs> a bad bitch is someone who stands in her confidence. She's powerful. She's not trying to take away space from other people, but she's creating opportunity to celebrate, to have more presence and to have more potential for everyone that she touches. That's what a bad bitch is. You're right. 
<laughs> saying you're bad bitch certified because of everything you said. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Mama. I appreciate that. Bad bitch certified. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. Thank you.